What's really beautiful to see with students that start to find that love of like a harmonium and go, wow, this is easier than I thought. Wow, the vibration of this harmonium just moves somewhere inside my body. And wow, I can actually breathe with this instrument and even play two notes and then start to find my own, you know, my very own unique own. That's what keeps me going. That was Audrey Sarkia, and I'm Henry Winslow. You're listening to Dharma Talk. Dharma Talkers, welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in, setting your antennae to the correct frequency to pick up on these high vibrations. And vibrations are a focal point this week, given the expertise of my guest. But first, real quick, would you like to advance your yoga practice? Check out the Henry Yoga app. It's a mobile optimized and intuitively designed program of efficient Hatha Vinyasa classes and asana workshops. If you've taken my classes before, you know what to expect. And if not, what have you got to lose? You can get the first two classes totally free at henryyoga.com. So go see for yourself. Once again, that's henryyoga.com. All right, as a podcaster and as a yoga teacher, I make good use of my voice. It's not lost on me the power I harness by coordinating the vibration of these cords in my throat to inspire others to think, move, and act differently. The voice is a potent force. In the Yoga Sutras, Patanjali says that once you've mastered Satya, the Yama that translates to restraint from falsehood, what you say becomes true. So the voice can even be a force for manifestation. But this conversation with Audrey Sarkia, a bhakti yogini who masterfully weaves harmonium melodies and mantra verses into her vinyasa classes, really opened my ears and heart to a different effect of the voice, to bring community into shape. Stay tuned for an inspiring story of exploration, opening, and self-discovery through voice and music. Now let me take this opportunity to thank my gracious sponsor. This episode is brought to you in part by Yoga East Austin. The last two weeks, you may have heard me mention how excited I am about a three-day immersion with Benjamin Sears happening down in my old yoga spot in Austin, Texas. My friends at Yoga East Austin recently started tagging these types of events as, quote, higher education simply because they are presented by masterful and incredible teachers, usually with at least a decade of teaching experience. What I admire most about these events is that the entire teaching staff at Yoga East Austin jumps in, eager to learn and lead their students by example, which in turn creates an environment that elevates continued yoga education to the highest priority. Teachers out there listening, we all learn from somebody, right? Each of these higher education events represents the culmination of learning from traditional and modern yogis alike, teachings that have been passed down from years of practice with legendary teachers, integrated with experimentation and cross-pollination from the ever-evolving modern yoga landscape. The next continued education event for teachers and students of all levels will be offered by my good friend and previous Dharma Talk guest, Benjamin Sears. 
the founder of Lux Yoga and creator of the Sacred Geometry Vinyasa Yoga System. Ben has been studying and teaching for 13 plus years from far too many yogis to list out now, but also from modern and popular breath and movement modalities, such as Katona Yoga, Functional Range Conditioning, and the Ido Portal and Wim Hof Methods. This three-day intensive on February 7th through 9th will include everything from pranayama and meditation to functional mobility and asana. Plus, I know Tatiana will be there assisting Ben, and she is an incredible mover and yogini with a decade of teaching experience unto herself. Added bonus, East Austin is an amazing place to visit and eat. Whether you're into the best barbecue or a mindful vegan, East Austin offers something for everyone. Yoga East Austin is also conveniently located in a neighborhood with plenty of Airbnbs and restaurants and stores all within walking distance of the yoga studio. So if you want to learn about your body from someone that has a wealth of knowledge moving pain-free in an excellent city location, I might add, this training immersion is for you. Check out yogaeastaustin.com slash Benjamin for more info on this three-day weekend event happening February 7th through 9th in Austin, Texas. Do not miss out. And use promo code HENRYWINS at checkout to save 15%. This episode is brought to you in part by Rainbow, my favorite sustainable mushroom company offering medicinal foods and supplements to elevate body, mind, and spirit. If you know me, you know I'm all about that mushroom lifestyle, and the folks behind Rainbow are fueled by an even higher level of obsession. They already nailed it with the 1111 tincture, which I've been using for months now, not only to stimulate my focus and creativity, but also to boost my immune system. It's a non-psychoactive medicinal mushroom tincture with reishi, chaga, cordyceps, lion's mane, turkey tail, shiitake, oyster, royal sun, agaricon, maitake, and mesima. Yeah, the gang's all here. But now they've just released a new product called Forest Juice, which is essentially the purest Canadian maple syrup you can find infused with all the adaptogenic medicinal mushrooms of the forest's healing ecology. They recommend sweetening your coffee or tea with it, but to be candid, I just take it by the shot and it's delicious. So are you ready to feed your inner rainbow? Go to rainbow.com and use code HENRYWINS for 15% off your order. Once again, that's rainbow, R-A-I-N-B-O, no W, dot com and use code HENRYWINS for 15% off your order of the 1111 and or the forest juice. Full disclosure, this brand is not a paid sponsor, but I am an affiliate, meaning when you order their products, I'll earn a small commission for sending you their way. So if you'd like to support the show, you can buy one of the items I recommend, and you'll not only receive a high quality product, but also know that you're helping to keep Dharma Talk up and running. As far as other ways to support, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes, which helps more than you know with discoverability, or make a direct financial contribution at henrywins.com slash donate. Now, or formally introduce my guest, Audrey Sarkia, at Audrey Sarkia on Instagram, is a bhakta tantrika and yogini sharing yoga from 26 years of multi-lineage experience. 
Her premise and mission when sharing yoga is to empower each participant to remember ultimately that this is your unique yoga journey. Audrey created a bhakti vinyasa school called White Peacock Yoga at White Peacock Yoga on Instagram in 2013, owned a yoga studio in Encinitas, California for several years, and now calls Ubud Bali home. And incidentally, that's where I met Audrey. So if this episode resonates with you and you'd like to study further with Audrey or get to know more about her and what she's got going on, then head to dharmatalk.show and type Audrey in the search bar, A-U-D-R-E-Y. And there you will find all the notes, highlights from the episode with timestamps, and links for the episode, including Audrey's recommended book. If you're looking for something to read, remember to check out the running list of every book ever recommended on Dharma Talk. You can find that at henrywins.com books. So go there and pick one out. Now, without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Bhakti Yogini extraordinaire, Audrey Sarkia. Audrey, welcome to Dharma Talk. I'm so happy to have you here on the show after our chance encounter in Bali. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Henry. So happy to be here. Well, let's dive right into it. Uh, okay. You know, we spoke a little bit before we turn on the recording. So you know what the topic of the show is. So I'll ask you the classic question. What does the word Dharma mean to you? And what is your Dharma as you understand it today? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And, um, you know, through the years, I think when I first learned of that word, it, it was rather elusive, beautiful. Um, and it had me pondering a lot in a different times in my life. I thought, uh, Dharma meant that maybe I was supposed to do something or have a title or change something. Um, maybe even embody a specific type of work. And through the years, when I think of what my dharma is, um, it becomes clearer and clearer that it's to embody love and to share love in, in whatever I do. And so while maybe my title right now is uh, a yoga teacher, um, and I do different practices within bhakti yoga and um, tantra yoga and, and different um, uh, practices, you know, yoga practices. Um, dharma for me is how much can I embody and share love in whatever, whatever I choose to do. And I just keep coming back to that um, and to connect, connect with people in that way. And so that's, that also assisted me in shifting my, my practice, my home, my personal practice, my deep personal practice, and then also how I, I share and participate um, in yoga it, with the rest of the world. And specifically, how I met you in my uh, bhakti yoga class. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's how I look at my, my dharma right now. Well... When we talk about yoga practice, it's sometimes, you know, we, we just kind of like roll over that last word practice. But when you mm -hmm. think about what the context of this all is, then 
what is it a practice for? Well, it's a practice for the rest of our lives. So I, I love your whole idea of embodying love in everything that you do outside of what maybe people look at you and see as your identity, yoga teacher, yoga practitioner. What was yeah, your yeah. what was your journey to teaching and practicing this specific style? Because I, I have to say that your class was quite unique. Um, I'll say, you know, my my outside perspective on it is you're teaching a form of physical practice. We're doing asanas. We're focused on our breath <laughs> and movement, but at the same time, there's a deep devotional component and. And in a sense, also pranayama infused right into the work as well by singing the chants at the same time. So yes, talk, talk to us a little bit about how you got there and why this is the practice that now you're standing behind and sharing. Yeah, thank you. Um, and that's a beautiful description. You know, um, my initial uh, when I was 18, I got into um, yoga by putting in a VHS tape and uh, Ganga White was teaching uh, Ashtanga yoga. And so that's how I first was doing yoga in my living room. Um, and then I proceeded to find teachers in the Ashtanga yoga world. Yoga Works was in um, Los Angeles, Venice at the time. And so I would, in Santa Monica, and start to find these these very beautiful physical practices that would suck me in. And I don't know really why I went other than, wow, this physical practice is wonderful and I feel amazing afterwards. And that was about it for many years. And then, you know, about 10 years later, I got to experience um, uh, going to Costa Rica, living there and had wonderful teachers at the Nosara Yoga Institute where I got my first yoga teacher certification, which I, you know, back then in 2002 was, you know, it was a really odd thing to actually be a yoga teacher. You know, there wasn't uh, all the hype. There was no Instagram. There was no, I would go places and people would just look at me kind of odd, um, attempting to bring yoga in any possible place I could, like a dance studio in San Diego or anywhere I could. Um, and just had this lot, like when we talk about Dharma and what's pulling us, I'm like, it just pulled me almost like, like, and through the years I said, you know, it's wonderful to have this pull for something, you know, and some people I sit with or, or know, they may not know exactly what that pull is, but but this is my pull. Ah, if I could study, practice, um, engage in anything all day long, it would, it would be yoga, um, whether it's Raja yoga. Um, I went to the Vedanta Institute for many years and, and just wanted to uh, experience the, the knowledge and the practice and the understanding. And, and so Luckily, my teachers, uh, Don and Amba Stapleton at the Nosara Yoga Institute, they shared a practice based on um, Amrit Desai at Kripalu Institute. And um, it, was, it was a practice that they created a very, I want to say non-dogmatic practice of this yoga is an experience where it's your yoga. And everything from you know, allowing the, the teacher trainee to, you know, understand 
why you're going to adjust someone. Why would you, why would you touch them? Maybe you shouldn't adjust them to um, maybe giving, you know, very specific verbal cues. Their, their teaching was very, very open to you discovering this path. And while it was a flow-based uh, teaching yoga, uh, lots of, of vinyasa, it was a very self-inquiry, um, uh, unique path. And, and that got me going with the chanting. You know, I first heard Krishna Das in the jungles of Costa Rica on CD, of course, because back then you, you burned a playlist on a CD and, you know, walking through the jungle to take it to the shala and, and here I'm putting my CD in for my 90 minute class. And, you know, I knew I would want to stay there and teach. And so I did that for a few months and, um, and yeah, I was just blown away with, with, with sharing this, this practice. And so it evolved through the years where I got super technical with every possible anatomical cue and muscle in the body. I have a bit of a background in wanting to be a physical therapist, even in, in, you know, my early twenties. And so I had that real interesting thing of, wow, does the body move? This is so cool. And yoga finally blended everything, the body, the heart, the spirit, the mind, like all these things. And so, I mean, I was just hooked. And then gradually through the years, um, I just noticed that to be in the presence that after all, you know, and again, there's the more you learn, right? The, the more you know how much you don't know. And so um, I, I just started singing more. And at 40, my husband got, you know, bought me a uh, harmonium for my birthday. And so I just played this harmonium because I'd always wanted one. And I played this harmonium and I just cried and cried and cried. And I didn't have a teacher yet for the harmonium. So I didn't really know what I was doing at all. And so I finally found a, a teacher um, who, uh, who shared his love for devotional music. And I got to learn the harmonium more. And I just found this vast opening, like straight connection to my heart that just exploding, exploding, exploding. Um, and that led to these past seven, eight years of um, incorporating the harmonium, my voice in, in my classes. And you're, I'm coming, when people ask me about this, I, I say, uh, you know, prior to that, I was even slightly nervous uh, usually to even share an om in class, especially when I first started sharing yoga, my voice, there was something there with my voice that um, I wasn't in tune with in sync with or feeling uh, confident about and sharing in front of people. And, and that comes from a lot of uncovering of, of younger years, childhood um, years and, and the programming that I had about my voice or took on from hearing things externally. And, and then it just turned into people, um, at our specific, at our yoga studio, white peacock yoga studio, wanting more and more because it felt inauthentic to not share the harmonium and the chanting in my classes. If that makes sense. Like if this is my personal practice to a certain extent, this is what gets me into that deep space of presence and love and love then, then sharing this, uh, even if I was nervous to share it. 
So then we would have a, uh, it turned into a Sunday bhakti brunch, I called it, kind of like our bhakti church every Sunday. And that became the most uh, well-attended class. Right? Our, our community just showed up on Sundays and it was really just by surprise. Uh, and then more of my students became, you know, I found out they were musicians. I was not a musician. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing this absolutely for the love and draw of it. And, and we formed a band. In Encinitas, you know, I had a violinist and handpan player and a drummer and a bass player. And it just came out of this uh, um, pure love. And, uh, and then it started to turn into, well, this, because I was singing the chants, I, I um, taught the class mainly with verbal clues. Sometimes I would get up from my harmonium and, and show a few poses. But then I realized people can really move intuitively, even if they were generally newer to class, not giving anything too technical, keeping people at a space of um, opportunity to explore their bodies, their movement, embody uh, the mantra, the vibration. And, and then, you know, it evolved from there. And so um, when I came to Bali and um, the class you came to at Radiantly Alive was, is the bhakti flow, it just it stems from from what I was doing there. Um, and I think also what paired in with this is I'd been to um, the uh, Bhakti Fest uh, many times in Joshua Tree. And so many wonderful devotional uh, practices and, and, and singers there and uh, Kirtanwalas and, you know, like Krishna Das and Jayutal and, and uh, many other uh, teachers, Govinda Das, uh, they own uh, Bhakti Yogashala in, in Santa Monica, and they'll, they'll share this music, and then a, a teacher will be, uh, there'll be a band in the background, and then the teacher's walking around and uh, teaching the asanas. And again, it's nothing too technical, but the idea is that we're flowing with our breath and, and singing. And so it, it just kind of came into this practice where I, you know, I play music with uh, my husband and uh, usually he's drumming and we're sharing these mantras and uh, that's how it turned into Bhakti Flow. It's a really cool story. And, um, you know, something that I picked up on even from the earlier stages of it is that there, there's kind of a thread that's woven through the whole thing right back to the first point you made, which is about embodying love versus maybe needing to be the best or being extra technical. It's what is the energy behind what you're doing? I, I couldn't, I couldn't mm -hmm. help but notice you, you know, you said that you didn't have a musical background before that. So mm -hmm. when no. you studied at the Nosara Yoga Institute and they were empowering you to take a non-dogmatic approach and, and really share yourself in your teaching, where do you think the desire to pull in musicality into the teaching really came from? Was it, was it something that was exposed to you in that training or was it really just a matter of permission to explore other parts of your authentic self that hadn't yet maybe come out or manifested? I think the latter, um, that through, through desire, through the desire to know myself, um, on a deeper level, the desire to integrate, pain and trauma and wounds, um, it just became this 
natural evolution uh, in my own practice. And, you know, I didn't know when I first received my, my harmonium and I could play, you know, a note and just tone to it. Um, I didn't know that this would be the, the, uh, result, I guess, if we Mm -hmm. say that, that this would be going on right now. Um, while I have in many other, uh, journeys, when I create something, I'll, I'll say, okay, well, this is a long-term vision. I've set up goals and plans of, you know, even building out a studio, creating a studio, you know, these kind of things, like the, the, the very uh, tangible things. Um, but this truly was, it's, it's like it had a life of its own when I look back on it now. Not that I even know what was being moved through me at the time, but um, it was like following that one, that one thread that kept pulling me. Yeah, yeah. And then I learned along the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like... And I agree with you, you know, sometimes there's like this idea that we shouldn't plan because the universe needs to drive and we need to be in flow, but there's a balance to that. Right. And, um, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with having a goal that you set and have incremental steps that you're working toward to get somewhere. But that doesn't, it also doesn't discount that there are going to be things that happen that we don't necessarily anticipate or even steer toward. And I think something that is a factor at play there is when the things are happening outside of our desire or control or steering, it's because something is probably changing within us. You know, maybe we're healing or going through some sort of growth. And I'd I'd love to hear from you about how your singing and how this aspect of your practice has helped you to either heal your relationship to yourself or or grow in some way, because you did say that you were not comfortable sharing your voice um, when you first started, yeah. which is actually shocking to me because having heard you sing, you know, <laughs> you, you're a beautiful singer. You, I don't think anyone Thank could you. deny that you have <laughs> excellent control of your voice and it sounds like you're technically trained, mm. but you know, how has that changed over time is the yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting in working working with my own fears and pinpointing back where I heard something reflect back to me about my voice that kind of shut me up or clammed up or, you know, was even something that, um, you know, I heard when I was younger that, Hey, you know, you either have it or you don't have it. And, and I remember thinking, well, I guess I don't have it. And so that kind of, you know, while I dabbled in, in, um, you know, maybe, a a two month like choir that I can remember in, um, you know, junior high school, just to jump in and dabble in with a lot of other voices, you know, but not really be, be heard too much. Cause I always, I was you know, curious and interested, but not much traction. And then I, there's this commercial commodity we have with music which is wonderful. We love listening to music, but like everything, everything's getting like, we're, we're taking back our power and energy. And we were like, we want to dance around fires. We want to sing. We want to go back to our roots of what ancient ancestors did and, and, and say, Oh, this is how they integrated. And, and I use that word integrate a little more than heal because for me, um, the integration, uh, feels a little more whole. Um, 
And, uh, but that's, that's the idea that as I integrated these, these things of, oh, this, this, this message came up and I've been living from that message of not good enough, or I don't sound right. And, and you can train your voice, you know, it's possible. Um, and the harmonium was my greatest gift because it, the resonance of it really allows you to tone in and train the vibration of your voice, which, uh, that vibration taps into so many things that we practice in yoga, you know, getting into the, as the tantricas call it, the spanda, the sacred tremor. And so we're, we're vibrating at that level. And then I find out, oh, my, my voice taps me into that vibration. There's more here. So while I found, first I learned a little bit about the Hindustani scale, and it would go up, I would, you know, go up and down the scale of the keyboard. I learned to breathe with my harmonium. It's a wind instrument. So I, so I give a, I give a lot of credit to the harmonium, um, for being the instrument to teach me. And I, and I, uh, that experience that's changed my dynamic and relationship to how I feel about my voice. And I think it's really created uh, a deeper sense of willingness to be as as authentic as I can be in any moment, as, as truthful as I can be in any moment, um, as it's possible, uh, that I'm conscious of. And it has created, it's created so much community being able to sing and being able to see witness people just actually, you know, come in and, and, and surround, you know, just, just say afterwards, they, they feel so much love. They don't even know where, how that's possible. And it's like, well, that's all coming from you, you know, and we get to fall in love with our voice along the way. And, and little things came up like, okay, well, maybe a friend of mine is kind enough to show me how she does scales and sings and, 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 and warms her voice up. That's one of the hugest things, warming your voice up. Um, cause I used to have like really tough, sore throats and I wasn't understanding like what I was doing even. And then in getting a little more help saying, okay, you know, you really need to warm up your voice. You need to find ranges. You know, one, one point early on, I was at a very lower range in my voice. And then I found higher ranges because I just happened to practice a lot. Um, so yeah, it just, it became that organic process of, well, what else can I learn and how can I now learn to play with other people? So the musicality came because, uh, my husband has a bit of a background in music and he would say, well, you, you need to learn what a C chord is. And I'm like, what's a C chord? And, and learning that it's a comp, you know, composes several different notes. They're in harmony together. And, and then I had to memorize that. So there's that, that basic stuff where, you, you know, you still have to chop wood, carry water. Yeah. Like you still have to do the, go over and over again to memorize these things so that the, <clears throat> the technique and the practice gives you freedom. Mm. You know, like, like sometimes I think we forget that technique is so valuable and, and there's, there's a structure there, um, that, that helps us yeah. then find even more freedom. Yeah, I think if we, we forget um, that, especially right? once we have it. Because kind of like the beauty of the technique is it gets yes. 
integrated into your body. Like you do this memorization, but it's not just in your head. Like your fingers learn the muscle memory of the chords and your arms, how to make the bellows of yes. the harmonium and, and get it breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Just like, like your, yoga, practice, your right? Practice. You have a, yeah. we have a specific practice. Yeah. Like it, doing Ashtanga for many years, you know, at times I remember reflection and I felt this too. Uh, there is a specific practice. Some people call it rigidity. Um, but I found freedom in walking into a Mysore room, knowing exactly what I was going to do. Um, knowing how I could get assistance from my teacher there. Um, and and I found lots of freedom. Obviously, it depends on the Mysore room you might walk into, how much freedom you can have in a specific posture or uh, skipping certain postures. Uh, but it, it's that structure uh, created um, a wonderful discipline in my life that I'm very, very grateful for. And while I don't teach Ashtanga, uh, specifically the, the series, um, so much of my uh, vinyasa uh, that I teach is influenced. Yeah, and by in that, that sense, the discipline was, in a way, kind of like a a prerequisite that gave you the knowledge and ability to have creative freedom yes. and to branch out. But you have to do yeah. that. You have to chop the wood and carry the water first in order to reap the rewards. And maybe I'm mixing metaphors, yes. but I think you get yes. the idea. I don't know. I think, yeah, no, I think that's perfect because because as, as people come in um, to the yoga world and their practice, and then a major, a major they have that strong pull, and they they want to take a, a training, uh, a yoga teacher training, to go further into that, and maybe to start sharing it one day. Um, it's like if they skip over the technicality and say they just learn. And, and I, again, I, I don't know what's right for everybody, but they learn a loose free flow and they don't get to learn, you know, certain alignments or understanding how the human body works. And then, then, I mean, they've got, I would think they have, they need to do that sometime, but that, again, that's my, that's my viewpoint. Um, and, uh, because they'll get a lot of freedom after that. Then they can look at a body and say, oh yeah, well, you might want to try this if you're having, um, intense sensation. <laughs> if it's not just a little discomfort and it's sharp pains, uh, maybe you want to shift the joint this way or that way, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I do know. And just to bring it back to that parallel with the musicianship, you know, if you don't learn the scales, if, if you don't know your Hindustani, if you don't know your C major scale, yeah. then yeah, you can have some fun on the on the harmonium or what have you. But if you really want to create a masterful, beautiful piece that comes from intention and really allows you to express yourself, then you have to know what you're working with. Yeah. And for me, it became, if you want to play with other people, yeah. <laughs> if you want to be able to play with other musicians and they're saying, Hey, we're, we're in the key of C and we're this da 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 da. And, I, and I'm just looking at people going, I don't know what that means. Yeah. And I wanted, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to, exactly. I jazz, right. They break all the rules or something. Yeah. Like I don't even know the rules. So I, I began to, um, I began to, Oh, I, I have to, I have to actually study. Yeah. 
and um and now it's exciting and while i have so, like so uh, uh much to learn and, and grow and it's, it's it's infinite um it's wonderful to have uh like this new year's you know we had nine people in our band playing for a, a benefit uh, for Christmas Day and, and giving back to, you know, we were raising money for local charities here in Bali and the nine musicians could come and share and, and I could write out all the music and say, here, this is what we're all doing and, and have timing and rhythm because my timing and rhythm, let me tell you, I, I, I want to be that other person who is not, there's no metronome you know, guiding my practice, uh, I would say way back when, but I found that internal metronome and it's very, uh, rhythm is very important if you're practice, if, if you want to practice and play music with others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about non-traditional instruments? Like you spoke a lot about why the harmonium was such an important gift for you. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I can see how it, you know, it fits naturally with the the classic Indian scales and it makes sense for a certain mm -hmm. type of kirtan or, or mantra based music. But what do you think about yeah. using either instruments from another part of the world or more modern, even digital instruments to express devotion? Like do those things work together or, or no? I think whatever moves you and, and feels you, I'm, I'm really into this playlist by East Forest, who oh, yeah. it's on Spotify and that, uh, right? And, and Ram Dass is just chiming in with, I mean, they've got like, it's like the, the Ram Dass hits mm -hmm. along with East Forest digital music and Krishna Das or Trevor Hall coming in and, and sharing their, their magic, you know, it's like, I'm blown away by it. Like I could listen to it all day and, um, one, you know, just for me personally, I, I, um, I, I'm dabbling with the guitar. I've had a guitar, a guitar for a very long time. I've found a teacher here in Bali that is, has really helped me fall in love with the guitar. I don't practice it that often. Um, so my, I wish I practiced it a little bit more, my guitar. I just, I pick with it a little bit. I find some notes. Um, and so that's always my practice is when you pick up something new, um, you, you go through a phase of, well, how does this instrument work? You go through a, a phase of, uh, or for me, um, I don't feel like it's, it's, uh, easy for me to, to pick up any instrument and just learn how to play it. So it takes time. Um, and I think if you, I've had crystal bowls and Tibetan bowls, uh, back home in the States, love those, love singing mantras to them. Uh, I felt inclined to uh, make those, make sounds with those tones beautifully. Um, but uh, I, I wish I could, there's so many instruments I would love to learn how to play. Um, and if it resonates with you, then, and you feel that strong pull in your heart, I think whether it's a a looping machine that's creating beats along with your voice that is moving a crowd in, in a, you know, that conscious devotional way. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Cool. What was the, what was the motivation for you picking up from the community that you had established in Encinitas, you know, and you'd like started to have this Bhakti Sunday ritual together. Why did you decide to move to Bali? Yeah, great question. I had wanted to, I've wanted to move to Bali for many, many years. <clears throat> and through a series of um, life events, um, I have uh, 
two grown children. Um, they're 20 and 22, and they're living back in uh, San Diego. And at the time, my daughter was already living with her boyfriend, and my son already had a year kind of off from high school. He wasn't sure if he was going to go to college. And so, you know, he was checking in. And and so we, but we were in this phase of like, okay, well, thinking, you know, kids are going to go to college. We'll, we'll, we'll be around. We're not going to travel for another five years or so. You know, we've kind of thought when you talk about what I say, like I am a planner actually, you know, I'm like, ah, in the five years, we'll go travel a bit more. And uh, we had a cute little pug. Um, she was 12, 12 and a half. Um, we thought again, you know, we have lots of responsibilities, our house, um, just a lot, our, our community. My, my mom lived a block from me. Uh, my brothers lived close by and, um, but you know, the studio got a, a little increasingly more, um, challengingly, uh, just, just a bit of a financial intensity, let's say to hold that together while we had such a beautiful, loving community. And we, uh, but once like these things happen, it's kind of like a snowball effect. Our, um, our, my little pug died, we had to put her down. Um, and then, it was kind of a matter of do or die. You kind of had to sign this, but we had to sign a five-year lease, put up a lot of collateral um, to renew the the studio. It was, there was a, a lot of like pressure and it was kind of like this real grinding. And while, you know, we had thoughts of, of selling it, um, people wanted to kind of piece things off and, um, I wanted to keep white peacock yoga school. And so I just thought, you know, you can, you can have beautiful endings too. And it was a very tumultuous time. Like I said, when my, my dog died, that was like, Oh, I, you know, part of me wanted to just go and fly off to India and stay there for a long time. Um, but, uh, I think through many different things and then the idea that keeping this brick and mortar open just became unpeaceful. I mean, that's the best way I can say it. And so if, if I'm losing my peace, then I'm not serving the community anymore. Yeah. I'll start to, you know, uh, it's starting to hurt me. And, um, and that, that was really the impetus. It was an easy, like you can either go in and do this, like, and I, I kind of look at that now is that's that, that way I grew up into is to force and make things happen. And, and I could choose, I got to choose it, and it wasn't easy to choose that way to, to, to close the physical doors. Um, and, and lots of people were like, can you keep it open? Is there possible? And I, I, uh, I tried in lots of different ways to see if uh, other people could come in exhausted, other potentialities. And it, it just came in, came back with, no, this is the most peaceful mm -hmm. thing. And, um, and every, and, and the responsibility when you create or hold a space in a container for a community like that, the responsibility of that becomes massive. And even that was something I had to look at my own, you know, my own thought about how I needed to hold that together. And, and that there was, there was so there was pain and there was beauty in it all. Um, and so, yeah, once we closed the studio, we were pretty much like, well, our, my little dog passed away. Like I say, this is like my little, little baby. Um, the kids are, 
out of the house, basically. We're like, well, let's rent our house out and go travel to Bali and see what happens. And that's really what it was. It was like, maybe we'll stay there for a year, maybe maybe not, you know, and, uh, now it's been a year and a half. Yeah. I can see how that would be a really appealing thing to do. I mean, especially after all of this planning, running a studio is no joke. Yeah. So to go somewhere without any, any agenda can be extremely liberating. Yeah. Yeah. The, the opposite. And I, and I really say I have the, I have the best job in the world. I get to um, show up and support um, a beautiful center here in Ubud and, and the owners are just um, creating such a magnificent space for people to come and explore and, and have a variety and myriad of, of teachers that share from so many different modalities that again, I get to come in sprinkle in what I love to do and then I get to step out. So they're the true warriors holding that together in that sense. Um, and, and me, I get to support it and it feels really good to support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've been on that side of, of the, of the battlefield before. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) So, so what to, to what extent is, um, is your community, the white peacock yoga community still, being supported online? Like, what do you, what do you do online? Yeah. So, so retreats right now, I usually do an annual retreat. Um, and I really am figuring out ways to, um, support more, uh, just supportive classes, like some, some basic, I've got students that are all over that have graduated from 200 hour and our 300 hour programs. And, and I support them on my channel. Um, I have plans to revamp the website, um, revamp our social channels as well for white peacock yoga, but a bit of, I took a break a bit just from the incessant, not going anywhere. Me, like I'm personally here, but trying to maintain as well, this whole other entity. Um, and now it's, it's more of continuing education, what, how I can support in that way. Um, students do come find me here. When they're doing things around the world, we always check in and I love to share uh, what they're doing. Um, and then I'm, I, I really love uh, retreat-based trainings. And so uh, attempting to, to really vision, especially it's the beginning of the year, right? And so I'm getting into that space of like, well, where, where is that? What is that going to look like? And, and what would feel really juicy? So I'm asking myself that same exact question that you're asking me and attempting to see how I can best serve and, um, and support uh, students back in the, uh, a main group of students back in San Diego and community there. Um, and then, you know, people that have moved around the world and what they're what they're sharing around the world. Well, it's good to constantly be asking ourselves these questions, not to get too stale in a particular routine. So I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Is, yeah. is music yeah, a part you. of what you do online? Is your, is your band um, on any of the online music delivery platforms or anything like that? That is definitely, when we talk about goals, we are, um, we are definitely looking to record uh, some high quality music and get that up there. Uh, that's one of our 
one of our entire reasons of coming to Bali was, oh, really? we're going to go and just immerse ourselves in music yeah. um, and play music. Uh, and, uh, but we are, we are like, look out for it soon. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we are, are hoping to do. Very yeah. cool. Until then people need to go to Radiantly Alive and take your class to hear you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's the place. I, I do go to San Diego uh, every year. I'll be back in July. And that's where I, I share a lot of my bhakti trainings and I teach classes and I, I dig into that um, that ho- that other home community that will always be home yeah. as well. So they get a lot of me there when I come back. Usually that doesn't become a vacation being there. It's, it's great. I get to, uh, you know, uh, connect with community and, and, and lead there. So and then I have plans to travel around a bit more, um, going to, you know, Italy, of course, for retreat, um, and then, you know, uh, connect with students I've met from around the world, um, Iceland, South Africa, there's lots of places on the list that I want to go, England, um, to go and uh, meet with community that I've met along the way. Okay, I have a question for you. What? What advice would you have? And this is a question that comes personally for me. I also think it will benefit the listeners, but selfishly, this is a question that I think will help me. What advice do you have for someone who would like to introduce more music into their practice? Mm. Well, I think I would ask them another question. Um, And are you speaking about uh, one, are you speaking about having their own personal practice, having music like mantra? Um, is that, is that what you're asking about? What I'm asking about is either singing or some other form of musical expression and integrating Mm -hmm. that into a spiritual practice. Yeah. Well, it's finding an instrument that calls to you. I mean, and for me, that's why the harmonium, you know, uh, the harmonium is something that really, you know, it's not even an originally Indian in- instrument. It's a French instrument. Uh, it's an organ. And it, the harmonium was made popular in India because they, uh, well, they took off the legs of the organ and they, uh, they really masterfully created these, these reeds that they use, which again, it's a wind instrument. Um, and then they shared it with devotional singing. Um, so that's why I usually, I say, if you can get, get your hands on a harmonium and see how that vibration, the wind, the, uh, the, you know, the breath resonates with you, but maybe you already play guitar or you play drums or you're so curious about the tabla, um, you know, finding teachers, that's one thing to, to find a teacher, uh, to explore that, but you could also start just listening on Spotify, you know, type in kirtan and start listening to one of your favorite kirtan artists and singing as you're, you know, doing japa or after meditation or, or before and see what space it puts you in. And then you're incorporating music, maybe even externally, but you're incorporating it. And then you might go, wow, that harmonium thing, that just really resonates with me. I don't know if I could possibly do it. And then, then I would say, yes, you can, you know, so whatever, whatever musicality you might just be, is there, is there an instrument for you that you just look at and you're like, wow, I just, uh, I, I'm so drawn to that. 
Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you. Um, I think I'm yeah. at that point where I've personally I've, I've incorporated from an external point of view quite a lot. Like if yeah. when I'm driving, the only thing that you'll hear playing is either mantra music or podcasts. So I'm there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm there. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But now it's time for me so to take there... that step and and start messing around a little bit. I actually do have a music background. Yeah. I grew up playing the violin. Um, Oh, but it's cool to come play with us. Yeah. Come, if I knew that, I would have been like, bring your, you're bringing your violin the next time you come to Bali. I'll have to find it. It's probably at my I parents' so. house. <laughs> but um, that's really interesting to hear. And I guess it, I mean, now that I think about it, of the harmonium doesn't really seem like it would have been an, a native Indian instrument. But that's interesting to hear that it, even the harmonium, which we think of as being very classical, is in fact fusion and cross-cultural yeah. boundary um, yeah. overlap. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we could do that too. We can cross the boundaries. Yes. We can play the banjo to mantra yeah. music. Why not? Yeah, with 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 pure love, right? It's like yeah. the worst thing we can do in any kirtan experience or devotional music is to critique our experience. Right. And then because that takes us out of everything that we're attempting to, you know, to be in presence, to be in love, um, as soon as that critiquing mind comes in. And, and that's what's really beautiful to see with students that start to find that love of like a harmonium and go, wow, this is easier than I thought. Wow, the vibration of this harmonium just moves somewhere inside my body. And wow, I can actually breathe with this instrument and even play two notes and then start to find my own, you know, my very own unique own. And, and that's, that's what keeps me going is to see that, to see that same, that same um, empowerment, that same love in, in everybody else. Uh, you know, when we get pulled to wanting to do these, you know, share yoga, teach yoga, whether it's a handstand or whether it's singing uh, a mantra and a harmonium, you know, if it, if it empowers someone, if they, then, then may, you know, that's, seems like that's our, our why, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful words, Audrey. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And for the Dharma talkers out there listening, if this sounds like something that you would like to experience firsthand, you got to go check out Audrey's class in Bali. Everybody needs to go to Bali. I'm at that point. That's, this is where I am now. Everybody <laughs> needs to go to Bali. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. uh, Audrey, tell tell everyone about the Bhakti and Chant training that's coming up. Yes, um, March second through seventh. I'll be leading a bhakti and chant training at Radiantly Alive in Ubud, Bali. It's a six-day devotional journey, and we learn the basics of harmonium. I have the instruments here. I keep it a small group, usually no more than 14 people. And uh, we also learn basic rhythm and drumming to find our inner heartbeat. And I teach, I share through bhakti flow and how mantras uh, work with the petals of the chakras and we learn about the philosophy of bhakti yoga um, and it's a beautiful community of um, people coming together uh, looking to express their voice whether they already are yoga teachers or just coming to to learn how to incorporate uh, this more in their practice so it really you don't have to have any musical experience to to join very good all right well The end of every episode of Dharma Talk is 
the same final round of questions. I call it the prana round. So I'm going to okay. ask you six rapid fire questions. Please answer minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Okay? Okay. All right. In one word, why do you practice yoga? To know love. What is your favorite yoga pose and why? Shavasana, to integrate my breath, that absorption, and deep sense of pure consciousness. What's the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from a teacher? And I'll say yoga teacher or music teacher. Trust yourself. Recommend one book, either modern or ancient, for our listeners. Mm. Bhakti Blossoms, uh, by a, uh, it's by many different Bhakti uh, Yogini poets. Okay, I have not heard of that one. That's a new one. Next question, is yoga for everyone? Yes. Absolutely. Is bhakti yoga for everyone? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> infinitely. Great. Okay, final question, Audrey. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your dharma? Mm, ah. um, one of the easiest ways to find me is on Instagram at Audrey Sarkia, my full name. Uh, Facebook is the same name, Audrey Sarkia. And you can find me at whitepeacockyoga.com and some of my offerings or at radiantlyaliveyoga.com. And how can uh, I be supported? Ah. Ah, wow. Um, well, I'd love to meet you or hear about your journey along the way and how bhakti yoga has affected you, uh, it inspired you. Um, and if there is a way I can support you, uh, I look forward to meeting you along the path. Thank you, Audrey. I really appreciate your generosity with your time, your spirit, and your voice. And I look forward to finding your music, um, your recordings online. Sometime Yay, thank this you. Year. That's what, yes, cheer us on. We probably need, like Hanuman needs claps. We need some claps to, <laughs> to, to make it happen. But thank you. This was so much fun talking to you, Henry, and such a pleasure to get to meet you in the physical and sing and chant with you and be a part of your practice as well. Dharma Talkers, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you did, please share it. Take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and tag me, at Henry Wins. I love hearing from you about the conversations that make an impact for you. We have the ability to shape the world through our thoughts, words, and conversation. So let's influence the collective consciousness together. All my gratitude to Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions for keeping our audio crisp and operations smooth, and to Patrick Kiebzak of Momentology Music and Art for supplying the powerful soundtrack to these conversations. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and tune in to new episodes of Dharma Talk every Thursday. I'll speak to you next week, and until then, keep living your Dharma.